Good morning. How's everybody? Good. It is good, good, good to be here. And I have to start off by telling you, I'm sure my husband's been here before, uh, and we like to remind people that we are Baptists. And so <laughs> it's a great privilege to be here, but we like for people to talk back. So, you know, feel free to shout out an amen or yes, Lord, or say it or whatever makes you feel comfortable. That will make me feel comfortable. <laughs> um, before we get started, I have to do the obligatory selfie. So all the Scots family, big shout out. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Did I do that right? Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. I don't exactly know what it means. I think it's a gang sign, but whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking care of my daughter, Eden. She loves it here. She loves you. And so, therefore, I love you. And I'm so, so grateful uh, that she is a Scot. My son, Titus, he wanted to be here. I think he's an up-and-coming Scot. He wants to play on the soccer team. Any soccer people out there? Yeah. So <laughs> be looking out for him in the next four years or so, maybe. All right. Let's get it going. Little did they know that hostile forces were on their way to threaten their idyllic existence. While one enemy approached, another enemy lived among them, hiding, isolating themselves in the cave. It was time. The rightful heir to the throne was ready to take up his position as king. It was challenge day and as such the strength of the black panther was stripped away from t'challa so that if any tribe wanted to put forth a challenger to the throne the playing field would now be even no longer protected by the power of the black panther prince t'challa at his most vulnerable stood face to face with who mbaku mbaku of the tribe of jabari for the right to rule Wakanda. As the battle progressed, T'Challa seemed to be no match for M'Baku. M'Baku was a big brother. An entire nation of Wakanda watched as M'Baku tossed T'Challa around, like, you know how Hulk tossed around Loki and Avengers? It was like, puny God it was like that. <laughs> Y'all seen it. But here's T'Challa. His body was beaten, he was bloodied, and the crown was all but lost until at the brink of unconsciousness, T'Challa heard a voice, the voice of his mother, Queen Ramonda. And she yelled from the roar of Warrior Falls, kind of like Ruby Falls, but better. <laughs> and she said to him, in the brink of unconsciousness, she said to him, show him who you are. And with those words, T'Challa mustered up a strength, not from the strength of the Black Panther, but the strength that comes from knowing who you are and whose you are. And he said, I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. And this was a defining moment for T'Challa and the beginning of defeat for M'Baku and a renewed sense of hope for the people of Wakanda. Anybody seen the movie? I've seen it like six or seven times. Yeah, all right. 
Lookout Mountain is no Wakanda. <laughs> and Ruby Falls doesn't compare to Warrior Falls. But I do want to remind you this morning that for the Christian, every day is challenge day. Every day, we must fight. We must fight to take our stand against trials and persecution and sin in our hearts. And we must take our stand and fight for holiness and righteousness and justice and for abiding joy and trust in Christ. We have real enemies. Do you know who they are? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they all conspire against us to destroy the work of Christ in our lives. So like Queen Ramonda, I want to use my time this morning to remind you to show them, the world, the flesh, and the devil, who you are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the time that you allow us to spend this morning uh, in your word in 1 Peter. I pray, Father, that um, you would prepare our hearts to hear um, and to obey what thus saith the Lord. We are your servants. Speak to us, Lord. We listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in 1 Peter. You can turn there. First two verses, or flip there, tap there, whatever. Um, when Jesus asked his disciples who people thought that he was, Peter was the first to acknowledge that Jesus indeed was the Christ. And it was upon Peter's ministry that Christ said that he would establish the church. Now, Peter wasn't a perfect man. Just a few verses after Christ said that he would build his church upon Peter's ministry, Peter rebuked Jesus because Jesus said that he was going to suffer and be killed and rise again from the dead. And Jesus goes so far as to call Peter Satan and said that he was not setting his mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then not too long after that, Peter makes the boldest of statements, declaring that he would never fall away from Christ. But you know what would happen before that night ended? Peter would deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And when Jesus was resurrected and went to meet with his disciples, he graciously restored Peter. And as his ministry unfolds in the book of Acts, he becomes a key leader in the establishment of the church, just like Jesus had said. And Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has um, demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen the brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Little did Peter know how true those words would be to him. Here in the book of First Peter, we see Peter doing just what Christ had called him to do, to strengthen the brothers. These brothers were scattered exiles far from home and suffering various kinds of trials. And Peter writes this letter as an encouragement for them to rejoice in their privileged status as God's elect, even in the midst of their trials. He wants them to look beyond their present sufferings to the glorious future that awaits them. And so it is with us. As God's people now, living as exiles on the earth, where the goodness and grace of God is always on display, just like a billboard, but where we often miss it because of the thick fog that the cares of the world cast over the eyes of our hearts, so that we only see dim flickers of the light of the gospel at work in us and in the world. And we certainly have no range of vision for the glories of heaven that await us. 
in our time this morning, I want us to clear the fog so that our vision is unobstructed and so that we can join Peter in rejoicing in who we are, even while we live in the midst of brokenness and pain and suffering and just too muchness. Peter awakens us to some glorious truths. But these truths are not meant to be far from us as believers. They're, meant to, they're not meant to be difficult for us to grasp. They are meant to reorient our thinking regarding our circumstances. They're meant to remind us of who we are so that we can live out of our true identity. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what we already know. So I'm not pretending that I'm telling you something new, but I love to be reminded of what I already know because sometimes knowing something without really reflecting on its significance makes us dull to it and kind of hinders our ability to walk it out. So covenant students, show the world who you are. Let me read 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, first of all, who are you? You're God's elect, as you'll notice in verse 1. Some translations might have the word chosen. The word chosen was first used to refer to Israel. So we read in Deuteronomy 7, uh, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you, the fewest, you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And even in 1 Peter, he's going to flesh this, out, this concept out more in the next chapter when he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is reminding them and us that we are marked out people for God, that we are to live in this world as those who have been chosen or elected by God as his special people to declare his excellencies because of what Christ has done for us. Show them who you are. Not only are you God's chosen or elect, but you are exiles. Now, exiles, immigrant, expat, they're all running the same realm, but they're a little bit different. Exiles are people who are forced to leave their country of origin and to live in a foreign land, but with the hopes of returning home at some point. Immigrants, on the other hand, are people who leave their country of origin by choice to live permanently in another country. And then expats are people who choose to live in another country, maybe for an extended time, oftentimes for work, um, and intention is often to return to their home of origin at some point. So God's people here are 
exiles. They had lived in exile in Babylon for 70 years in a hostile environment that tempted and pressured them to adopt the customs and cultures of their captors. And those who did not conform were often punished. Remember Daniel? And now in Peter's day, there was still a great number of Jewish and Gentile believers who uh, were scattered throughout the Roman Empire without Christian community and with all the temptations of um, pagan culture alive and wooing them towards worldliness and away from Christ. These believers have to stand firm and pledge their allegiance to no one other than Christ. And Peter is reminding these exiles that they ain't home yet, so don't be acting like it. Don't look like it. As forgotten by God, as not enough, as too much. Well, remember that you have a perspective of how you see yourself, but God has a perspective by which he views you too. And God sees you as his chosen one, called to live as exiles. But that's not all. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're chosen by God and you belong to him. You're no longer bound and enslaved by sin, but you are free in your time of exile to live fully for him. And remember that you're actually in exile. So with all the comforts and delights that this world offers, we can have our senses dulled and our perspective can be very short, limiting our existence to this world and this life only. But make no mistake, the world and all of its allurements are passing away. So let's live in light of our eternal home and not this temporary one. Well, the obvious question is, how do we do that? What does that mean? Well, one way is just evaluating yourself. How comfortable are you in this world? Do you look and act and think like this is your home? Or do you see yourself as a temporary dweller, an expat who will soon return to your heavenly home? Don't get comfortable here. As beautiful as this mountain is, as lovely as this campus is, it's not perfect. As beautiful as this world is, none of it is perfect. Don't unpack your bags. Don't hang your stuff in the closet. Don't settle in too much. Don't take on the lifestyle or the worldview or enjoyments that conform us to the pattern of this world. We are meant to live and act in a distinctly different way because we have a very special and glorious destination. Show them who you are. You are chosen exiles who are foreknown by the Father, in verse 2, which means that God has plans for you. Jesus was foreknown by the Father. Look over in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We also were chosen in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So from before the beginning of time, God had you in mind. What an amazing and beautiful thought to be foreknown by God. Another question is why? Why did God have you in mind? What are you foreknown for? <laughs> I know that there are some in this room who, though foreknown by God, you've not fully submitted yourself to him. And even now, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, telling you to do business with God, telling you to be reminded of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus lived the perfect life uh, that we could never live in obedience to God. 
that he died the death that we deserve for our sin. And that three days later, he rose from the grave demonstrating his power over life and death and proving that we too might have resurrection life when we put our trust in him. But still, some of you sit here and you just want to hold on to a little piece of this world, a little piece of the enjoyment that sin offers. And I'm pleading with you, don't do it. It ain't worth it. It's not going with you beyond this life. And it's the next life that really, really counts. And so we need to live in this life in light of the life to come. So, you, who, you, who are you? You are chosen exiles, foreknown by the Father and sanctified by the Spirit. You, as we say in the Baptist church, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is no small thing. The Holy Spirit initiates the work that causes us to trust in Christ so that our faith and hope are in God. Then the Spirit continues his work of making us more and more like Christ so that we would serve him in love. And then Peter tells us in chapter 111 that it was the Spirit of Christ and the prophets of old who predicted the sufferings of Christ and also his subsequent glory. And then in verse 12, we're told that it is by the Holy Spirit that the gospel is preached, though through human means. And then Peter makes it even clearer in 2 Peter when he says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians, we're reminded that when we believe in Christ, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide, our teacher. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, sets us apart as holy, and helps us to grow up as Christians and to mature as we wait for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Show them who you are. You are chosen exiles who are foreknown by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and made obedient to Christ. So when talking about conversion, Peter talks about it in a lot of different ways as being born again, as a new birth, as believing in Christ, as being called. But here, Peter uses the term obedience. And it's likely that Exodus 24, verses 1 to 8, is the reference for this when it talks about this sprinkling with his blood. In that passage, as Moses confirms the covenant between God and Israel, the people promise, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses then reads the book of the covenant before the people, and they vow to obey it. Do they? No. Then Moses takes blood from the burnt offering and he throws it on the people as a sign of their allegiance to God and to each other as the chosen people of God. And just like the people in Moses' day, those in Peter's day were taken from their own home and have now been made God's chosen covenant people through the blood sacrifice of Christ. And now in obedience to Christ, they continue their pilgrimage and we continue our pilgrimage to the promised land. Think about it. The whole of the Trinity is involved in our salvation. Did you hear it? We're foreknown by God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and made obedient to Christ. This hostile world has nothing in its arsenal that can combat our Trinitarian God. Show them who you are. You are chosen exiles who are foreknown by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, made obedient to Christ, and therefore you can make it in this hostile world by obeying Christ in dependence upon his Spirit 
under the sovereign rule of God. May grace and peace be multiplied to you as you show the world who you really are. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, um, Father, for showing us who we are. But more importantly, we thank you for showing us who you are. You are the all-wise, most powerful God who has um, humbled yourself um, in the person and work of Jesus Christ to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would hide your word in every heart, that you would help us to cling even more to the good news of your gospel, Lord, and that we would show the world, the flesh, the devil, and all who would oppose the work of Christ in our lives, who we really are. Amen.